Have you heard any more about stimulus? I have. The good news is they're back talking again. The bad news is they're a long way apart on what they want to do. McConnell is wanting it to be more of a targeted, focused, honed-in, laser-focused type um, stimulus package, whereas Nancy Pelosi is wanting a much bigger, more money, more shotgun effect, you know, affect more people. And so they're a long way apart, but they're going to start talks next week again. And I think they there is kind of a, a mentality. They know the American people need it. They know they need to get it done. And so I think they are trying to get it done. At least I hope that that's what they're doing. The Mr. Market Podcast is a production of Sphere Wealth Management. Sphere is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Sphere and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. Investing involves risk and possible loss of principal. No advice may be rendered by Sphere unless a client service agreement is in place. See our ADV or get additional information about Sphere. Visit our website, www.sphereWealth.com. Firm information is also available on the SEC's website, www.advisorinfo.sec.gov. For investing, seek advice from a financial professional, preferably one that acts as a fiduciary and is willing to put that in writing. You can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, or sign up for our email commentary through our website, SphereWealth.com. This is the Mr. Market Podcast. We hope you enjoy the show. Don, yesterday was the anniversary of my best friend passing away. It was a tough day yesterday. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry to hear about it. Sorry to hear a year ago of his passing. Young man. Yeah, he was he was uh, 36 years old when he passed. Yeah, that's not that's not good. 36-year-old men are not supposed to pass away. So that's very sad, very unfortunate. And I know you guys were really close friends. Yeah, it was my best friend. We got into car speakers, like, mm-hmm. like, you know, stereo speakers in your car. I remember. When, when you're in high school and you, and you, that high school kid's driving down the road and his 20-year-old model, you know, hoopty, but he's got those giant speakers and the door panels are rattling around and the bolts are falling off the back and the <laughs> mismatched hubcaps. He was listening to a lot more rap than I did. I would, I would every now and then blast Phil Collins. <laughs> right, my favorite, <laughs> one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. Man, when the uh, I can't remember what the, what's the name of the song. The oh gosh, uh, something in about the air. The, something about the night in yeah, the air. In yeah, the, in, in, in the, the air, air tonight. Yeah, air, that's yeah. it. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So I would I would blast the in the air tonight and do 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 do. Yeah, and everybody at the school would hear it as I would pull in for breakfast in the morning. The story I remember about that that's so good is that you would um, you would always be tardy. But you would call uh, on your way in and say, hey, I'm going to stop at Sonic. You want me to grab you something? And then you would run through Sonic, grab them something. And so then how could they give you a tardy when you are actually now brought them a coffee or drink or something? So there was one time in high school and I would miss school in the mornings to go play golf a lot. And I would show up about an hour, maybe maybe two hours after school started. And there was one time I was out there and I saw my principal he was teeing off. <laughs> and I saw him and I was like, hey, Frank. And he's like, hey, John, we're going to keep this between the two of us, right? <laughs> like, you, you bet, man. You bet. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, that is good. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that story. All yeah. Right. That is yeah. good. It yeah. was uh, Jimmy Austin. He went out. I think he was out at Jimmy Austin. I was out there just chipping and putting. Yeah, Frank's a great guy. I want to go back to the stimulus package because we've been talking about stimulus. You know that we've talked about it in our podcast. We had our very first podcast was the history of stimulus. We thought that a stimulus package would be passed before the election. We didn't get one. Now we're staring down the barrel of a lot of these programs ending and we don't have any support and we don't, it doesn't look like we're going to get any support until Joe Biden takes office in, on January 20th. So we're 
essentially two months away. And that's even, that's just him talking about it. So now he's got to get into office, get Congress to pass something. So, I mean, we could be two, three months away from actually getting some relief and some help in some areas of the economy that need it. Well, the areas that I would say are these small retail mom and pop type type uh, businesses mm-hmm. because, you know, especially in the area of, say, restaurants, bars, you know, anything where you're gathering right, is right. what I would say. Any type of business where it almost depends on people gathering, that's the area where there's got to be some target. There's got to be some focus around that. Um, most other businesses are probably doing okay. I don't know. What others can you think of other than the ones I mentioned? You know, I, I see the economic numbers. I know that we're in far more danger economically than anybody wants to wants to realize or recognize or, or admit to, and that's scary. I do see restaurants, bars for sure. All right, we've, we've shut these bars down. A lot of these bartenders are not going to be able to make the same amount of money because people are just going to choose to do something else. And I recognize there's going to be some, some serious headwinds and some economic struggles if we can't figure something else out for those folks. The other place in the economy that I see continuing to struggle is energy. And I know that the energy corridor, the energy sector has had a nice couple of days here. It's been rallying here recently. We're talking about a, a sector that as the market has recovered to new highs, this thing is still just about 50%, 50% off of its highs it's January highs. Yeah. The energy sector has gotten crushed. And when it does come back, obviously there's going to be some acquisition and consolidation that occurs over the next three to six months, probably the next 18 months as they divest some of these assets that they have on the books that aren't going to be able to generate margin anymore because of where oil has fallen to and where it just kind of seems to be comfortable staying at. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm noticing that this past week, the Thanksgiving week, the energy sector actually had an 8.51% gain in that week, whereas the the closest thing to them in any of the other sectors was about 2.97 in consumer consumer discretionary. And so the energy sector way up in comparison to most others, uh, uh, another one was the financials I'm noticing here, a Mm 4.63. So that was... That one was up as well. So those two, which have been beat down quite a bit this year, you know, had a nice little week over the Thanksgiving holiday. So people didn't stay in for Thanksgiving. I mean, we we had massive number of flights occur. People drove, people gathered. Now, they may not have gathered in as big a groups as they did before, but people gathered. You know, we, we had a smaller Thanksgiving than normal. And unfortunately, Don, it, I still got covid during Thanksgiving, you it, was, know. it was one of your cousins, wasn't it? Man, yeah. my my, you know, cousin Eddie. No, it's, <laughs> he, he wasn't actually Eddie. Yeah, yeah it's, it's actually the opposite of cousin Eddie. He's like a biomolecular yeah. engineer or something well, crazy. He, he is an engineer. That's we know that. Kind of, I don't know. We don't know. He, he talks about. I think it. We he don't builds. Listen. He builds bridges and stuff. Oh, you okay. Know? Yeah, okay. builds roads and bridges. So he's a so he and we know he's a civil engineer. Yeah, extremely intelligent, but not smart enough to avoid bringing COVID to family Thanksgiving. But anyway, so I got, man, I had COVID this week and you and I, obviously we're, this is a new podcast set up for us. I'm on one side of a wall. You're on the other side. It's a closed off room with an exterior door. You're in our office and I'm in like the adjacent office next door and we've run wires under the wall (laughs) so we can do this podcast today. We're being safe. We're being COVID safe all Mm -hmm. around. We're making it happen. And it looks like it's working. I I'm wondering, you know, about the energy stocks. I, mm-hmm. I'm anticipating 
you know, when you look at the energy sector being so far down, 30, you know, 32.8% down year to date, that's way down. You just anticipate they've, they're kind of down at the bottom. They're going to be coming back up. You know, we're going to see some movement back in the right direction. I'm not sure I know exactly what's going to be the catalyst to drive that, but I just have to believe the energy sector is going to be coming back strong. This goes to the place where we want to eventually take this podcast, and that's the difference between speculation and investment. Mm -hmm. And then we want to talk about some opportunities that exist out there in 2021. So, So we'll get there in just a second. But let's go back to the energy stocks. Do we believe that as business operators, these companies have some type of tailwind or some type of advantage in the market right now? And the answer to me is no. They're having to exist in a world where demand for what they produce has cratered dramatically. And they've also, they're also existing in a world where the price of that commodity, the price of that produced good, is no longer trading at the levels where they were able to make really nice margins and run in these like really high profit zones. So they were already struggling going into this thing, and then everybody stopped traveling. Okay. So it, let's say we have baseball cards. And everybody collects baseball cards. You probably collected baseball cards when you were growing up, right? Very little, but I but I knew people that did. And yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, so I collected a lot of baseball cards. That mm-hmm. was kind of something I enjoyed to do. Right. I don't I didn't know any baseball players. I really wasn't that I wasn't that in tune with baseball, but I recognized that card collecting was kind of fun. And you'd swap them with your buddies. You'd go and you'd sit down, you'd swap them with the buddies. Like I give you a Barry Bonilla for you know, Barry, two, bon- two, Barry Bonds or uh, Mark McGuire. I give you, yeah, for, for, you know. I'm trying to think of the great baseball players when you were coming through. I, well, there was a, I think there was a guy named Barry Bonilla. I'm pretty sure there was. But uh, Barry Bonds, obviously, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, they had the big home run race. You remember that? I do. I do. Yeah. And uh, I, I remember one I had that was an Oakland A's pitcher named Catfish Hunter. Man, Catfish. anybody named Catfish – yeah. You know Catfish is going to have some nasty slider. I'm telling I mean, you. I'm telling you. He was good. Yeah, he, he caused all kinds of problems for people <laughs> at the plate. Yeah, he was good. So uh, so going back, we're collecting baseball cards, and all of a sudden, the baseball card company, they know that they can sell these decks of baseball cards for a dollar, let's say. You know, you get 20 cards in a pack for a buck. Well, then the next thing that happens is the cost of producing that goes from 20 cents to 30 cents. So now their margins have been compressed a little bit. So now they're only making 70 cents on each one of these packs instead of 80. Then let's say people aren't paying a dollar anymore. They'll only pay 75 cents. So now they're selling those things for 75 cents instead of a dollar. And they're having to pay 30 cents to have them have them produced. And what happens is, is that as those margins compress, it becomes much harder to operate their business. And then all of a sudden people stop wanting to buy baseball cards. People stop watching baseball completely. Whatever it is that happens, the demand for that product is, is sucked out of the market, and there's only very little demand left there. That's a great example of what's happened to these energy companies. They've just completely been eviscerated by not only the, the price war between the Saudis and the Russians going into 2020, but also the fact that we stopped moving around in 2020 whenever we shut the economy down. So a vaccine would be a welcome sign for those in the oil business, right? I because think, uh, it yeah. possibly get people back mm-hmm. to work, you know, back to moving around, back to going on vacation, that kind of thing. When you when you say that less people, well, that's the reason why it had the spike. Yeah. So we had good news from Pfizer. Right. Moderna seems to think that they're going to be able to push through their vaccine as well. 
So you've got some good news out on the on the vaccine front, and the next thing you know, energy stocks start to come back a little bit. If we do get a vaccine and we do start to move around a little bit more, energy stocks have fallen significantly. There's a lot of room to make money in energy stocks right now. Not yeah. necessarily making that a call. I think that energy will have a will still struggle in 2021. Even if the stocks do go up, I think the companies will struggle in 2021. The stocks going up would be purely in speculation of a very nice 2022 recovery, in my opinion. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so what is the difference between speculation and investment? You brought that up, so let's go there. What, what, what do you mean? What's the difference in those? Well, Don, we talk about this all the time with clients. You know that I'm going to go to a, an example. The casino example? Is that yeah. where you're going? <laughs> of course. Always, right? <laughs> Always, right. Let's say you're approached by a relative. And they have this great investment idea. You listen as they explain how they've calculated every cost imaginable to opening and running this business. They start walking you through things like specific location and the signage and the colors and how they're going to attract a certain client and how the employees will provide this unique experience for people. And they have all these great ideas, right? Everybody that is seeking investment from someone has great ideas in their mind. They're great ideas. And then they start breaking down the math behind the game of roulette, and how the house always wins over time. And what they're really doing is they're asking you to invest in their casino. They want you to be the house. The casino has put together these mathematical tables that say, if enough people come in this establishment and play these games, we're going to make X amount of money. And that's called an investment. You're investing in a business that has already thought through how they're going to generate revenue. Now, let's say another, another relative comes to you. And they've got a great investment idea. Their investment idea is they want you to give them your money and they're going to go to the casino and put it on the roulette table. That's called speculation. (laughs) That's the difference. And it's not necessarily that you can't make money speculating. People have and will always make money speculating. And you can make a lot more money speculating sometimes than you can investing. But when we look at our clients, our clients tend to be older, more conservative. They're typically retired or they're on the doorstep of retirement. The idea we might lose their nest egg on a roulette table is not an option. That's not a risk they're willing to accept. So what we do is we think about investment as a business. And Benjamin Graham said this, and I think this is, this is great. He says, investment is most intelligent when it is most businesslike. And so we analyze companies and we try to determine which companies are going to generate certain cash flows necessary to pay back our investors, to pay back our clients a percentage of that profit in a way that will allow our clients to continue living their life. So in the case of Walmart, for instance, we're basically looking at Doug McMillan, the CEO of Walmart, giving him our money and saying, hey, go invest our clients' money in the operations of Walmart and send us back a portion of the profits. And we feel like that's a very conservative, safe way to do it. Can you lose money investing in Walmart? Of course. And can you make money investing in in Zoom? Of course you can. A lot of people have made money investing in Zoom. But the difference is, if I'm buying Zoom, I'm no longer buying Zoom because I think Zoom's business operations, at at the levels that I'm having to pay for Zoom, I'm not thinking Zoom's business operations are in any way going to yield a return based on the price that I have to pay for it. Let me tell you what that number is. That number is 304 times earnings, 72 times sales. Even if I believe in the business operations of the company, the price matters. 
And if I'm having to pay $304 to get a dollar of earnings back, I'm probably not going to do that deal. That's not an investment. I'm not investing in the operations of Zoom. If I'm buying Zoom stock right now, I'm speculating that somebody else will buy it at a higher price in the future. That's pure speculation. That is not investment. Does that make sense? Yes, it's an absolute yeah, great story. Great, and I, I love the point about you know you're 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 thinking of it in the stand from the standpoint of giving the money to say Doug McMillan, CEO of Walmart. And saying to him, hey, I believe in you and I believe in your company and we've looked at all the financials, we've looked at all the information, and we believe you guys are going to be able to do better with this money than probably anybody else. And so you give them the money and say, hey, just give us back a certain portion of the profit. But that's a great that's a great way to put it versus I'm just speculating. You know, so the way I was kind of doing earlier in our conversation about the energy stocks, you know, so I might be speculating that well, energy hasn't done good, so I'm just going to speculate. I don't really know the fundamentals. I hadn't really thought through anything. I'm just kind of looking at one thing that the, that the market's been down, so probably it's going to go up. Could I be right? Well, yeah, I could be, and I could probably make money if I am, but it's just a pure speculation to do it that way. It's not that you can't make money. It's just not the way that we do it. So as we go through this podcast today, as we talk about opportunities, understand that we're not going to say we think Zoom's going to go up. Because if we were to say we think Zoom's going to go up, it would be purely based on the psychological component of trading Zoom and nothing to do with the actual fundamentals of Zoom. Because Zoom does not deserve this price, not in any realm or, or world or theory or anything, nor does Tesla. Those companies do not deserve the price that they're currently being traded at. They are being traded in Zoom's case, 50 years into the future. Zoom would have to basically run the world to justify their <laughs> stock price. And that's the part that I don't think people quite, I don't think they, they really understand. They just go, man, more people are going to use Zoom in the future than they do today. And that may be true, but everybody's already assumed that. That's why they run the stock price up. You know, and the interesting thing about the way you're saying that is, and I know Keith, who is with us, he's not with us today, but he's with us quite a bit. And he He'll bring this point up as well is that it, it's it's one of those situations where the stock might go way, way up and then the company really does do well. You know, say over the right. next five years, Zoom might actually do well as a company and become more popular and become more important in our daily lives and so on and so forth. And the stock price might not do anything because it ran up so high that now it has nowhere to go. It just right, kind of right. sits flat for five or 10 years while, while the company kind of catches up to it. Yeah, that, ha that has happened. His uh, favorite example is Cisco. Right. Cisco was run up to about these Zoom levels, these Tesla levels here, and this was back in, in 2000, in the early 2000s. Cisco did change the world. If you don't know what Cisco does, they create the guts that allow the internet to exist. We do everything online now. Cisco did everything they said they were going to do. If you bought it at its, at its you know, 2002 high, you're still down 20 bucks on the stock right now. Like you, you, <laughs> you still haven't made money on Cisco. It's not that Cisco is not a great company and they're going to change the world. And I, and I want to say Tesla, I think Tesla is a great company with great potential and it absolutely could potentially change the world. And I hope they do. And I think very highly of Elon Musk. Yeah. It's just too high of a stock price. Not that it, not that it can't go higher. It can. A lot of times dumb money 
will follow stocks like Zoom and go, man, look at Zoom. Look, we got to buy some Zoom. Look how Zoom's doing. It's doing such a, it's so good. We saw Zoom run all the way up into the, the high 500s. It has pulled back significantly now. It is down 30% in the last six weeks. Yeah, 4 11, 24 at this moment. As they have done very well as a business, they beat earnings expectations. Everything that they are doing is what they promised they would do, and it's still down 30%, mostly because the smart money is starting to exit the position, and the dumb money is still chasing it. And the dumb money is even looking at it and going, hey, look, this is a $580 stock. We should get in at 410 72 times sales would mean you have to invest $72 to get a dollar of sales back. That's before they ever go pay an employee, open a location, create code, buy a license, have you know legal expenses before everything. Most companies trade around two to four times sales. Zoom's trading at 72 times sales. That's asinine. And this is typical of dumb money. They follow this thing up and they trade it all the way up into the 500s and then smart money starts to exit, and dumb money doesn't realize that this is not going to be a $580 stock. But if you were diligently investing, you would avoid Zoom altogether. Not that you can't make money trading it, you can. But if you were investing, it's too high right now. So let's talk about some that aren't too high. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I know you've got a few here on the list. Let's see what you, which one do you go to first that you believe is a good opportunity right now? I try to go out, do some research, and pull some stuff into the podcast that we may not buy in portfolios, but I can see that there's definitely some opportunity there. Uh, the way we construct portfolios, our portfolio composition really begins and ends with cash flow. So we have to have increasing cash flow and cash flow in excess of earnings. And not all of these companies meet that criteria, but that's not the only way to invest. So let's stick with a category real quick. The, okay. the category that we talked about that I wanted to start this with was medical devices. So elective procedures were paused for a while. And even after they reopened them, I don't know that everybody came back and did it. I think that people were probably a little more cautious because of COVID. And so there's a lot of pent up demand in some of these elective surgeries. And a lot of these elective surgeries use medical devices. I've got several that I won't mention, but there are a few that I think have some, some pretty significant opportunities associated with them. And the first one is Medtronic. Great company, strong balance sheet. It is the largest of the medical device companies next to Johnson & Johnson, but Johnson & Johnson has so many other divisions. I think Medtronic is well positioned. So as the crisis grows stronger and as more of these elective surgeries get pushed off to the future, obviously Medtronic is going to come back strong. Let me say this. I see in your notes here, it says, although the fall and winter surge of COVID-19 cases is concerning, we do believe that hospitals are much better equipped to juggle elevated COVID patient levels uh, than in the past. And so, therefore, the opportunity for these surgeries to come back into play and hospitals to be able to juggle that better is a, is a great possibility, which, which means that the Medtronic is going to be a, a good opportunity. So, that makes, it makes sense. And, of course, Medtronic has that robotic-assisted surgery platform which has been a key growth driver for them. They've gotten European approval by mid-2021. The real risk with Medtronic is continued regulatory delays. And then if we, have, if we just continue this COVID concern and it continues to slow down elective procedures well into 2021, that would be the major concern. If we fell into a massive recession, a lot of times healthcare is not as impacted because people look at healthcare as a need. I need that 
not like buying, going and buying a new car. This is something I need to have to have a lifestyle to be able to live, right? That's and right. It's, it's, but plus, our demographic is the baby boomers are at that age right. where they're they're the ones needing all the medical attention. There's a massive number of them, and we knew that we'd known this for quite a while from a demographic standpoint. That as the baby boomers come along, need more and more health care, need more and more medical attention. And yeah. so, uh, and so, you know, but it's going to continue. You can see that that will continue over the next 10, 15, 20 years because the baby boomers are full speed, full speed ahead. Yeah. And Don, on these medical devices, and I totally agree with what you're saying on these medical devices, I really want to, I really want to look at three. Okay. And okay. I'm going to kind of list them here. Medtronic, Abbott Labs, and Stryker. Medtronic's currently trading at about 27 times earnings, meaning I have to pay $27 for every dollar of earnings I get back. Medtronic's one that will experience more growth as COVID subsides, okay? okay? Abbott Labs is one where they have the testing. They, they, Abbott Labs is one that created one of the testing platforms, and they've done very well distributing this testing platform, obviously. They've made a lot of money doing it. So they'll continue to make money as more COVID tests are required. So the longer COVID hangs around, Abbott Labs will do better. So there is opportunity if you believe COVID's going to hang around a little longer, it's also trading around 30 times earnings. So Medtronic was 27. Abbott Labs is 30. Medtronic will do much better if we see COVID subside. Abbott Labs will do better if COVID sticks around. The other one that I want to talk about, Striker. Hips, knees, spinal, and they do a lot of robotics. So they have something called Mako Robots. And that will continue to drive share gains for Striker. Let's say I'm a lineman and I hurt my knee. Well, I'm not going to stop being a lineman. I'm going to continue to do my job. That's my career. But I may delay going to get the elective procedure because of COVID. It doesn't mean that I'm less hurt or that I don't need the surgery less. It just means I'm going to delay going to do it. So as soon as COVID subsides or I feel comfortable going in, into the hospital and having this procedure done, I'm running in there to do it, right? I can totally see that being a big deal what you're what you're saying that as soon as the covid subsides there is going to be this massive pent-up demand of all kinds of different medical procedures right. I, I just can see that coming and i it totally makes sense to me you know, right. it really does i'm looking at numbers in the 10 to 12 percent growth range top line growth range in 2021 2022 there are risks involved in everything, right? But I think Stryker is that place where if you're looking at elective procedures coming back, that's probably the, the purest example of buying a stock, expecting elective procedures to come back in a big way in 2021. Stryker is also being helped currently by Zimmer Biomet, its biggest competitor, having some compliance issues. And now Stryker's the product of choice in that space. Now, let me give you one that's a more speculative play. Go for right. it. You ready? Because yeah. you've, been, you've been talking all the investment talk, right? Mm -hmm. And you guys do that. You and Keith are really more, I'm involved, but you guys really, I'll let you kind of handle that part of it. But here's one that is interesting, and it's called Teladoc. Teladoc mm -hmm. Health, T-D-O-C. This is the concept where we're going to call in to the doctor rather than have to go see the doctor. The doctor can then give us a prescription based on a conversation or maybe they have a Zoom call or something like that where that seems like that's going to be a boom. 
It could be. Yeah. Yeah. I, and and again, that, that's speculative because we don't really know at this right. point. And I don't I don't know all the numbers on Teladoc, but I just know that concept, kind of like Zoom, makes it makes sense to me. I think that Teladoc has a pretty significant opportunity. Now, there's a lot of competition in that space that is not publicly traded. A good friend of mine is a doctor and responsible for the telemedicine at his hospital. And I, I believe that's correct. I, I believe I'm telling the truth about that. But he, <laughs> he, um, and if you ever met him, you'd be like, you're responsible for the telemedicine? Like, <laughs> wasn't anybody else available? <laughs> yeah, was that the last job or, they had? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, so he... He was telling me about this and he was kind of walking me through. It's a platform, right? So I think I think the way that Teladoc makes their money is they make money on the platform side more than they do on the execution side. What I mean by that is the hospital, your local hospital, doesn't necessarily have to have all the coding and technology and all the stuff to be able to operate this Teladoc system. I mean, when you start talking about HIPAA compliance over cell phone FaceTime, basically, you have a you have to have a lot of technology and a lot of um, there has to be somebody there that understands all of those restrictions and requirements that's able to execute it on a technological basis that can technically build that platform right. So Teladoc offers their platform to other hospitals. I think it's an I think it's a very interesting concept. I think they're going to have a lot of competition in that space. Very low barriers to entry, right? A hospital, very high barriers to entry. It is not cheap to open a hospital. It is extremely cheap to open a Teladoc app, basically. Mm -hmm. It's just a bunch of lines of code. And we've talked about this. This is why app distribution companies and app companies can make quite a bit of money. They can have very high margins. This is why Zoom, from a profitability standpoint, does deserve, in some manner, a slightly higher multiple than the average multiple in the market because their margins are so high. Once they wrote the code, there's really no other expenses involved. You just get online. It's just air at that point, right? Right, right. And so same thing here with with Teladoc. If they can pull this off, I do think that there is some significant opportunity there. It has been traded up quite a bit uh, in anticipation of that. And I don't know if you've uh, recently looked, Don, have you seen the one-year performance of this thing? I have. It was about uh, seventy something dollars back in January, right. and then now I guess it's about two hundred, a little over yeah. two hundred dollars. So with about a two hundred and fifty dollar price target, I guess. So yeah. who knows whether it'll go to two fifty or what? I I just think that the whole concept is interesting. You know, uh, the, I think the concepts, and I think that's yeah. where we have to move to. Yeah, it's, we're going to move that way anyway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that just seems like one when you're thinking of the medical. Let's begin to dig into these companies and find out who's who's the best and who's doing it because you, you kind of see maybe a little bit like the electric car, right? You kind of see that everything's kind of moving that direction. So who's going to be the one? We Well, right now it looks like Tesla, right? So, right. so same yeah, thing exactly. here. You know, this looks like the direction – you know, I remember this is make me this is making me think about the banking business, right? And I remember many, many years ago how that what would happen when you know, I was working as an investment advisor in a bank and there would be people that would come to the bank every day and it was kind of part of their normal routine and we'd 
have these tables out there, you know, nice chairs and ta- you'd have the paper there and you'd get a coffee pot. People come in, get some coffee, sit down around that table and open the paper and they'd sit and talk and have these conversations and all this stuff was going on, you know, and you would, you would never at that point in your life think that people are one day not going to want to come to the bank. You know, and it's the same idea, I think, with the, you know, because now, like... like, Are you trying to tell me that there was a time when people wanted to go to the doctor? <laughs> is that what there's... Because if you're going there, yeah, I'm going to argue Maybe I should, maybe that, I should rethink that wanting to go to the doctor might not be the right thing, but you think that's how you do it, right? Man, that's that's yeah. how you do it. Like, Man, I, I'll never forget when I, was, when I was growing up, and there was that doc in town, like grew up in Norman, Oklahoma, and there was that doc in town that didn't take insurance, and he had... Every tool in his office was like from the seventies, <laughs> right? He was from the he was Doctor Husky, yeah. Doctor Husky was two hundred years old, two hundred years old, and uh, every <laughs> tool in his office was from the seventies. And it didn't matter what you had; you got a shot of penicillin every single time you walked in the door, man. You just <laughs> it was like broken arm, penicillin, <laughs> broken. flu, penicillin. Doesn't matter what you got, penicillin. Here it comes, and and I just that's right, that's right. I just remember always being like, please, I don't want to go get a shot from the doctor. Now, 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 you don't know this, but he didn't take insurance. Oh, you did. You said that. He didn't take yeah. insurance at all, and it was $40. It was $40 no matter what. No matter what you— It was $40 to walk in. It took four, about 20 minutes, and yep. he shot you in the rear with some penicillin, and you walked out of there. That, that out of there. That guy and his wife made more money than you could shake a stick at. They they had so many people piled up in that place, and, they, and that was how you did it, right? You went to the doctor. Well, now you can see that people don't really want to do that just like they don't want to go to the bank. So the idea that, man, I could get my prescription and just call a doctor and say, hey, this is what how I'm feeling. And the doctor say, hey, this is what you've got. Go down to the or Walgreens or whatever. I'll send the prescription down there. You go down there and pick it up. Or there's probably other ways to get your prescription other than that. You know, maybe something they'll send to your door. Man, yeah, scripts in the mail has become a big thing too. So. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you can see how the medical field is changing. Man, the the hometown doc, the guy that lived in your town that goes to the high school football games, that doctor is no longer necessary hmm. because I can tell a doc. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's more efficient, and yes, it might be less expensive, but what's that doctor going to go do now? Well, now that doctor is going to become a financial advisor, and you're going to be out of a job. And then what are you going to go do, right? <laughs> or he's going to—he's not going to be a financial advisor. Yeah. Doctor Husky's not. Not Doctor Husky's not. I'll tell you yeah. that right now. <laughs> Bedside manner poor. <laughs> the poor. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, he didn't have a nurse or anything. I mean, he just would come room to room. You'd you'd sit in there. He just roll that cart of penicillin around. Yeah, he just roll the cart of penicillin around. Or he he would actually leave and go back to his office so it could be gone for a second and then he had all the penicillin in there he'd get the shot bring it back poke you you know say okay you know take care of yourself you know and then he'd go to the next room and do the same thing and just over and over and over and over yeah well well, i mean and we're talking about opportunities right and i, I love this teledoc idea because i think that there could be money to, there is money to be made in telemedicine it's just is it teledoc is it traded up too high and if i'm investing telemedicine as a sub-industry that's obviously going to be a place where there's opportunities to invest. Is Teladoc the one? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But if I'm investing, if I'm investing client money, money that's designed, set aside to generate an income necessary for me to be able to retire, 
I'm going to focus my money on Medtronic, Stryker, Abbott Labs, probably one of those three versus a, a TDOC, a Teladoc. And I, I think that that makes sense to you. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Again, like we've said so many times, I mean, it could be a great place to be and we may find that it is a great place to be. And, you know, we may change our mind a year from now and sure. think that, man, that is a, that's a great one to have. But right now that's more of a speculative, speculative play. Right, right. You know, another one is Etsy. Yeah. Talk about Etsy? speculation. Yeah, Etsy. Do you know what Etsy is? I do not. What is Etsy? Etsy is essentially a platform for creative people to be able to offer stores so they can create products and sell those products over their store on Etsy. Instead of going through Google, you know how you go to Google and it's like, hey, right. give me, um, you know, give me, uh, you know, custom pins. Well, and then they show you know, it might be pins of writing pins. It might be pins that go on your shirt. It might be the pin that signed the Declaration of Independence. You never know what you're going to get when you Google something. <laughs> okay. Google has almost cannibalized itself. There's so much information out there, and it's all about keyword search and all this other stuff, metadata and all this stuff. So you don't even know what you're searching or that you're going to get to the place that you really want to get to. Well, Etsy took a lot of that out. So it's easy to go find things that you want on Etsy. Now, it's only shopping. So you're only going on there to buy, and Etsy takes a percentage of sales. Etsy has had a phenomenal year this year. Hmm. And I'll, I want to talk more about their phenomenal year here in a minute, but I want to go to their competition. Their competition is now Instagram Shop. So Instagram, which I don't know if do you have an Instagram? I do. I do. do now I don't, Instagram? I don't. So you can shop on Instagram. I don't do that. Well, you know, I don't really shop on Instagram either, but every now and then they'll send me ads for stuff. Okay. And, and this is a great example. So... My friend told me Instagram's going to be more impulse buys, right? You you're scrolling through and you're getting all, you're getting all your funny videos and then there's a shoe ad and I might buy the shoes. Whereas Etsy, I'm going to I'm not going to go impulse buy anything on Etsy. So Instagram might be able to take some market share from Etsy, not a lot, but some because of this component, this impulse com- component of what they do. Okay. Gotcha. They have the ability more people are on the Instagram platform and they have the ability to direct the the shop right into the face of right into the stream of the consumer. So Instagram may take some of the market share, but I see this as a as an expanding market. This kind of unique, creative, small business sourced wares and goods. Yep. Now I have pulled this Etsy up. Now that you've been talking about it, I'm, I'm sitting here and and with the beauty of the internet, I can pull this thing up and look at it, and it looks very feminine. Right. Yes. I mean, I mean, so, so far, maybe Etsy's leaned more to, you know, f- females shopping. Do I need to tell you who shops online? Do we need to have a conversation about who's well, making purchases online? Well, that's exactly <laughs> where I was going. You're reading my mind. Yeah. It's, it's that, it's that this is brilliant because that's, that's who's shopping online. Exactly. And that's, I, I don't know that I would go there to buy something. Although maybe if there was something on there, eventually they'll probably have more men's clothing and men's items and things as they begin to popular, you know, they get more popular. Well, and that's just it is it, it men don't typically shop for this kind of thing. Right. Right. So give you a good example. The last wedding that you went to. Yes. Who bought the present? Who bought what present? Who bought the gift? <laughs> exactly. Right. Who bought what present? Yeah. <laughs> What, there was presents? There was presents involved? <laughs> there was presents there? Hey, so on the in the last wedding that you and Terry went to, who bought the gift? N- not me. Right. Terry. Did you even know that a gift happened? No. 
you don't even know that the gift happens, but your wife buys gifts for the bride and groom and she goes and puts them on a table somewhere and they come and she wraps them in some elaborate wrapping because for some reason when you get married, the the, the wrapping needs to be more elaborate. Yes. So I, I understand that completely. And so Etsy makes complete sense to me. I can see I had no idea this was even happening in the world which, right. uh, and there it is. I can see it. Yeah, it really makes right. sense. Now, my friends, uh, Duncan and Stone, my friends mm-hmm. that, that run Duncan and Stone, they do uh, journals for, for kids. So when your children are born, they, do, they create these kind of very unique custom journals. You're not going to go find that on Amazon. Because if you go to Amazon, you're going to find 50 gajillion journals. None of them are very special. Mm-hmm. But these are very... So this allows Duncan and Stone to have a store, quote, quote, store online without having to have brick and mortar, right. electric bills, water bills, pay rent, all that kind of stuff. They, I don't know, they may pay, do they pay rent on Etsy? Does that, or do they, they, they just collect no, part of the, part of the profit? They don't take, they don't pay rent, but they do take a part of the sale. Yeah. So Etsy takes a portion of the sale. I get it. Now, in, now let's go back. Okay. Because Etsy is, this is speculative, Etsy is uh, 65 times earnings, does not pay a dividend. Mm-hmm. Etsy shares have tripled in 2020 through October. I see that. Wow. So you're talking about a stock that has already been traded up. I think the future of Etsy is very bright. Could the stock continue to go higher? Yes, absolutely. I do see them continuing to expand this space. I think that this space, this market is going to get bigger. I do see Etsy continuing to take market share from other places and carve out its own kind of unique experience. I don't know that I see the future for the stockholders mm-hmm. that bought that are buying Etsy now. Right. That bright. Right. 65 this, times earnings is high. Etsy and what they do may become more and more popular, may do really well as a company, but the stock price, if you buy it at 155, it may or may not go very much higher. In, and I'm going to a, a short period of time. They increase top line revenue. Expectations are they will have increased top line revenue by 85% in 2020. Now, it goes back to the other thing, right? So we talked about Instagram, the Instagram shop in comparison to the Etsy shop. This expanding market has the ability to produce revenues and profits. Instagram is attaching itself to that. Instagram is owned by Facebook. Instagram shop will probably start to take some market share from Etsy, but probably some from others. Instagram shop is a great way to instantly go buy the good that I want. I see your good on, I, you know, maybe I follow you on Instagram or maybe I see your good through a targeted ad and I go hit click, three, three four clicks later, that thing is in a box on its way to my house. Mm-hmm. That's a great business for Instagram to try to get involved in because that's a new way for Facebook to generate revenue as a company. The problem that I see with Facebook and the reason why I want to avoid Facebook, if, if it's me, is because so much of their revenue is dependent on Facebook advertising, and that is under the Section 230 yes. headwind right now. Right. I don't know what's going to happen in that space. We actually sold our Facebook. We owned Facebook. We did very, very well on Facebook in 2020. We bought it early 2020. We sold it here recently. We sold it because we don't want to carry it through this two, this section two thirty, and yeah. and I think you you were one that have has followed that pretty well. Any new developments on the in that space? Just that it's not a favorable position. They both they don't like each other, right? Democrats and Republicans, Hatfields right. and McCoys. They they, <laughs> they don't like each other, but they both don't like section two thirty. So well, maybe their hatred of each other will trump their hatred of. <laughs> 
<laughs> Mark Zuckerberg well, and Zuckerberg it, will just well, sell well, off in the sunset. Yeah, well, so far Zuckerberg has been able to just kind of like ramble around through it, you know, and, and kind of like, you know, like, like yeah. mosey his way through it while they fight each other. But, um, but, but I think you're wise in your thought that this looks like this could be trouble. And I think that it is going to be, you know, that, I just, that, that, I, yeah. I just want to say Mark Zuckerberg somehow got Dan Aykroyd's suit from Trading Places <laughs> and wore it to that hearing. <laughs> hey, it, know, it wasn't even, he didn't wear it too. It's a Zoom meeting, but he wore it on the Zoom hearing. You know, they, I mean, every, they all got after him, but they didn't get after him like they did the other the other dude with Twitter. Uh, Jack Dor- Dorsey. Oh my goodness, yeah. they yeah, Ted Cruz especially, uh, that was ugly. He he beat him up pretty good. And, uh, and, and Zuckerberg seemed to, you know, Zuckerberg was smart, I thought, and, and every time he would, you know, be a confronted with anything, he would basically just kind of go, yes, I know that's something we're working on. We apologize. We're working on that. We, we understand you're, you're exactly right. You know, he was very apologetic, very, uh, you know, agreeable. Um, and he didn't really try to skirt around too much of it. And he just kind of kept the flow going and he just kind of kept himself out of trouble, basically, at least, at least from the part I saw, there may have been parts that I didn't see that, that weren't as well. But, but, but I think the appetite for two thirty is, uh, is not good. And they're going to, the plan will be to modify, bring in more regulation around two thirty, And so we could see, Facebook, Twitter, and all of them be affected by that. And we could see a whole bunch of not being on social media yeah. in the near future. Yeah, I think the government, or government officials actually, I think government officials may look at Facebook, they may look at Mark Zuckerberg, and they may go, I don't really want anybody to have more power than me. <laughs> and you do. Somehow, in your brown, double-breasted 1975 <laughs> suit... With with your flannel tie, maybe you got a Tabasco tie on. You show up and have more power than me. I can't I can't deal with that. And I think part of me wonders if the government's going after them just because they don't want social media platforms to have more power than the government. But and I think a lot of them do right now. They absolutely do. I mean, you see Google and Facebook. I mean, those I guess those are the two that come to mind. Google especially. I mean, Google is just a monster in that way, right? I mean, they're, they've just got it all. They've yeah. got it all, you know, so. Did anything impact this or was this just, this was going to happen no matter what? Both sides kind of wanted to be the the, the political uh, winner. Hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm not sure. Or I mean, do you I'm think that sure. it was po- overly politicized and now that, now that we've had the campaigns, now to just kind of go away because they don't care. I don't know. Oh no, I I, I don't you think, think this it's, is. Yeah, I don't think it's going to go away. I think I think it's going to ramp up even more. Um, the election is going to kind of take over everything. The inauguration, the stimulus package for a while. But I would bet that sometime in 2021, there's going to be a major upheaval over Section 230, and we're going to see a lot of activity in that. Yeah. Yeah. Now I tell you one thing that Facebook is doing, and I think this is great because I I got to do this recently on a guy's trip. So Facebook has a VR headset called Oculus. And what happens is you put this virtual reality headset on, you have these little handles. Uh, my friend Nate set it up for me. So Nate sets it up and he puts me in this elevator. And the next thing you know, this elevator opens and you're at the top of like a skyscraper and you got to walk out on this plank. And man, I couldn't walk out of the elevator. So I, would, I just want you to imagine a grown man 
<laughs> sitting around a bunch of other grown men on a men, on a guy's trip with a white headset on, like this, you know, looks like some spaceship white headset on and from you the even, Jetsons. And you even know you have a headset on. And I'm telling so. myself, I'm going, it's yeah. a headset. I'm in the living room. Nothing can happen. I'm not going to die. And Nothing's going to happen. And, I could not. I, oh, I eventually wow. walked out there. It. I almost threw up from the peer pressure of them saying, just jump off the, just jump off. Nothing happens. Just jump off the ledge. It, I was in pain. Oh, wow. That's it interesting. Was, yeah, mm. it was, it was anyway. Hey, I want to pause this. We've gone over an hour and we want to try to keep these around, you know, 40 to 50 minutes. So. Okay. Yeah. I want to pause this one. We've got a lot more to talk about in terms of opportunities. I also kind of want to run through Joe Biden's economic plan. Hey, hey, I want to share yeah. this real quick. One of the things we absolutely do miss is the interaction with everybody coming into the office. We absolutely. used to do that very regularly. I mean, we used to have a lot more activity here in the office. We had the old donuts with Keith where, you know, we get donuts and coffee and everybody would come in on the Friday mornings and Man, I really miss miss those times. Those are just grand old times, you know, as they say. And uh, just for all of you guys that are out there listening that were a part of those meetings, we really do miss having you in the office. And we look forward to maybe one day in the future to be able to do some of that again. Now, I think we've kind of found something that we want to continue doing, even if COVID stops, you know, I mean, you know, we finally do find a vaccine, whatever, but uh, the podcast is great. We want to continue doing it. We want you to subscribe and be a part of what we're doing. But I just wanted to shout out to those guys that uh, uh, and and gals that were part of our yeah, sure. Friday morning activities. We sure miss having you guys in the office for sure. Yeah. The number of people that we're able to reach and interact with, because of what's happened with COVID, it, it ended up being a good thing for us, not a bad thing. And so even though initially it kind of slowed us down, as we've learned how to do social media, as we've learned how to interact on Facebook and create these podcasts, I feel like we're disseminating our message across a much broader audience, both geographically and uh, socioeconomically. The Mr. Market Podcast is a group on Facebook. We hope you'll join the group and engage with us in conversations after each episode or just in general. We're always kind of watching that. With that, I'm going to wrap this up, Don. Anything else that you want to say about kind of speculation and investment? I don't have anything. I think it's been good. And uh, yeah, look forward to continuing to talk about this stuff as we go forward. So I hope you have a great week. Keep listening. Thanks for listening. Thank you.